When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 396 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining from La Liga Lowdown is their Barcelona correspondent and yours today, and that is Roman de Arquer. How's it going, Roman? It's going good. Uh, happy for Spain's victory the other day against Portugal, of course, and now looking forward to, to club football, which is what really, I think, interests us most. Yeah, I get in too much trouble when I talk too much about the international stuff with the, uh, the Kool-Aids here for the Barcelona Podcast fan base. But I will say that during the World Cup, they're kind of going to have to suck it up because I'm not sure what else there is to possibly do <laughs> other than give them injury updates on certain players. Again, hopefully there are none, but let's get into that pretty quickly, actually, because today we have a special listener question driven show that we're going to kind of dive right in because I felt like earlier in the week, you know, I did the women's show last week and then earlier in this week, we did all about the injuries. We're kind of rehashing some of that stuff again, but I, I felt kind of rudderless where there was no new news. You know, it was kind of just treading water, waiting for a big October where we're able to talk about the football. So with the final show, before we can talk about football again, basically every three days for the next month and a half, it's going to be a sprint. And then finally, the World Cup comes. But we do start with injuries with questions from uh, we got a number of questions on injuries. That's why it's our main topic here. Aman, Abbas, Jose all ask different variations of the same question. Amen, to be particular, asked, do you think the team is not physically well prepared? Thus, all the injuries now and why it happened with the national teams and not the club. Abbas asks, was it known to the club that Kunde had suffered the same injury and was supposed to do surgery? How injury-prone is Araujo? 
Every time he goes for international duty, we have to be worried. And then Jose says, with injuries already stacking up, how do you think the team will look player availability-wise after the World Cup? So three kind of different questions there. And Roman, I'll let you kind of pick and choose which ones or which parts of those as a sentiment that you want to answer. Well, first of all, uh, the, the first one saying that if the players were actually well-prepared, I, I do think they're well-prepared, but the problem is that uh, when they go to play with their national teams, you know, they're, they're um, submerged into a different routine, a different lifestyle, we could say in a way, because, for example, with a the club, they have full control of the players. They're like a specific and individualized trainings for each one. They have all the data. They control their day-to-day life, whereas the national team can ask for some of this information, but, of course, it has to... Uh, train in a different way because it's got players from different clubs it can go specifically to uh, train in a way uh, that they do in their own club you know so of course this definitely has an impact on the players physical conditions after and also the routines you know uh, not just uh, how the time they wake up maybe have breakfast etc but also the fact that they have more prevention sessions maybe at Barca whereas in, in, in the Spanish national team they might not have you know and other reasons for Injuries usually upcoming or coming up with uh, national teams, I think, is also the fact that they can play in different positions, which can be which can have different requirements from the player, you know, and and they're not used to maybe that way uh, of playing, and definitely that can have an impact on on your physical condition. Like for example, Kunde who's been playing very often here as a right as a right back, if he plays maybe a centre back, different requirements, difficult physical requirements can uh, lead to to an injury. And finally, I'd say that maybe having more game time, such as Memphis Depay, who hasn't been playing too much here for example at Barca when he goes to his national team he's their main man we could say so of course uh, his body maybe isn't used to all this so I think I think there's just a big bunch of factors you know in this case that lead to a player uh, likely becoming injured with their national team um, whereas in the club they seem okay and, and everything's all right, you know, because also a good example is Sergio Roberto, who before uh, being injured here in Barca, they detected something was wrong. So they immediately uh, pulled him away from, from the squad and have been helping him recover uh, so that the injury doesn't go too much worse. And hopefully he'll be available uh, for the next, next match. Roman, a quick question for you here. I have a question. Did you in some way steal my notes? Did you get a copy of my notes prior to this recording? Because... <laughs> What I have written here uh, in front of me for some of the notes that I took before as I was trying to work through these questions and answer them is, firstly, at their clubs, players basically have someone on staff aiding in every part of their footballing life, particularly individual training and timely recovery. So very Mm -hmm. much as you said, the next thing I wrote here was the enhanced travel means a difference in their regular routine, routine being the key word there. Travel may prevent time for proper lifting or meals that were prepared by the club in different ways. The, the, the most minor dietary things, you know, again, where individual to team, I think was the biggest disparity that seems to be, you know, the quote unquote reasoning mm-hmm. where when you go for the international stuff, they're doing everything as a group, everything, exactly, all, usually yeah. everything is a total unit and very little individual work where for this season in particular, because last season and the season before there were big arguments about, you know, why are Barcelona players constantly getting injured? Uh, obviously, Dembele was one of the big examples for that. And then he has come out and said, hey, I also got more mature. I fix things individually on my end, you know, from the non-footballing side of things and to help with the injuries. But, you know, Barcelona with Xavi coming in this year, again, bringing back Ricard Pruna, his, the, the main physio from years past, from his heyday, that being Xavi's. Barcelona is ironically prioritizing prevention this year based yeah. on individual player data and checking that data, as you said, that data was the word you use as well. So checking that data daily, which apparently is one of the reasons why, and to that point that we haven't seen much of Sergio Roberto, because what I've heard different reporting things about his Achilles still not being great, but I've also heard that he could go if he had to, 
but because of the emphasis on that daily work, daily grind of looking at that data, they just don't trust Roberto at this point. If he feels even a little bit of a, a snag, he says, hey, I got to come off the field. That's it for me. And that's why we haven't seen too much of Roberto. Because again, I think in years past, even this is no disrespect to the managers in charge, but he might have kind of been thrown out there. He might have been asked to go. We're seeing from Barcelona this year a lot more precaution towards these players. And that could also lead to something where players are now on their club side saying, hey, that's enough for me for the day, or I need to go into individual stuff. And so they're being very careful, these players. And then for the national team, you know, not to say that they're trying to hurt them, but they do throw caution to the wind. That's why it seems like there's always a FIFA virus. So I think we did a pretty good job answering those questions. I think the only one we didn't really hit was Jose's, and that is with injuries stacking up. How do you think the, the team will look for player availability-wise? And as much as I would worry a lot, uh, the, the plane ride obviously getting in there, but they take a lot of time. They spend a lot of time in those countries prior to the World Cup, right? It depends on how many, how long each of these countries are. Some of them are there for five days. Some are there for 10 days. Uh, it really depends on how they choose uh, the location of where they're setting up. But apparently in Qatar, unlike the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, or even in Russia in 2018, it seems like a lot of the camps are very centralized. So there's a lot less travel. They, they also, you saw a map of how close all the stadiums are yeah. in comparison to these other. You know, again, there are pros and cons to having the World Cup where it is now. Con is, again, a human rights thing that will continue to, to, to pepper into every one of these shows for a while. But one of the positives for the players is that, again, the locale of where they're located from stadium to camp and stadium to stadium even uh, limits the travel, which is going to be helpful for injury prevention, hopefully. The other thing, too, is that you would expect that a lot of players on Barcelona are teams that are going to make the knockout rounds. It's not like they're going to show up, play three three games, and go out. I mean, who knows, right? Who knows how you know one of those big giants or two of those big giants always crashes out in the group stage. You know, that's just a, kind of a given with the World Cup. There's chance and there's whatever. But I'd say that play availability wise, I would actually hope that there's even less injuries that we saw in this international break because this international break, you're still talking about two games total from these teams. And we've seen in the past that some international breaks, they try to fit three games in because of Nations League and World Cup or whatever. So the World Cup is actually a little more spread out. In theory, there's three to five at most seven games with the World Cup. So I'm actually hopeful about that, believe it or not. And then Araujo wrapped that up. Um, injury prone. He was injury prone before this break. That means he's, he's unfortunately going to be an injury prone player. And that's going to be a consideration. I saw somebody in the Facebook group, put Thomas Ramallon, and I had a cold chill go down my spine because, I mean, maybe that's it. I mean, that, that might be it to yeah. it. But I think Araujo, uh, you just hope that he can shake it off eventually. And that's why he had the surgery, so that it's not Yeah, yeah. And I, I just wanted to add, I, th I think that that injury wasn't just sudden. You know, if, if you look at what happened, it was just before a minute when he got injured and nothing really out of place happened to him, you know. So there was definitely something there before he got to the game. I don't know if he was feeling it while he was at his national team or maybe at Barca and he kept it to himself. But, uh, you know, that wasn't just happening at that specific time it should have been you know taken care of before and maybe we could have avoided this but unfortunately it wasn't the case and we're gonna miss him yeah so let, let's move topics a little bit here jorge asked the frustration with Ferran torres seems to be growing and coming from all angles is it possible to resurrect his career it's funny he's 22 years old <laughs> or is this a, just, a, just another bust could we get any money back for him ramon i think i am barred from talking about Ferran torres for like two or three weeks. I think he, he has to do something has to happen for me to have much to say. So yes, I would love to hear your room or your Ferran Torres take. 
I mean, I think uh, people are a bit, being a bit harsh with Ferran Torres, in my personal opinion. I mean, he was very important for us uh, when he came uh, last season to qualify for the Champions League, uh, you know, to, to climb up those positions in La Liga. And he was important going forward, scoring goals and, and giving assists. And of course, now he's found that he has uh, Sunday instead of Aubameyang and Memphis. He now has uh, Rafinha there, a good Dembélé, Lewandowski. So there's so much more competition and Sufati has recovered from his injury. So I think from a psychological perspective, I do feel that maybe, you know, he went from feeling more of a star player uh, to now seeing that there's better players ahead of him. And that, of course, is something that has possibly affected his performances. Also, it's not good that he ended last season not in the best way. You know, you could tell that he, he was already not playing at the same high level that, it, that he was when he came in. So, I mean, all these things have, you know, affected a bit his performances, but we've seen how good he can be. I think he can be a very useful player for us. I don't know, maybe not a starter, but I mean, definitely a very strong backup player. And it's true that uh, Luis Enrique has also... Uh, found it hard to get the best out of him. So I, I think it's more of a psychological thing at this point because we know he has the quality. He's a very decent player, a very good player. Uh, and it's just a matter of him, you know, breaking past that moment of, of not depression, but, you know, of his low moment. And uh, once he gets past that, I think he'll be a very good player. If some club in the future comes with money and they want to sell him, okay, because of course Barca needs all the money they can get. But I don't see him being a player they'd want to sell just now, you know. And and of course his value might not be as high as when they signed him because how he's been performing lately. But overall, I think he's a fantastic player, and I just give him time and and trust, you know, and and let him do his thing. Sometimes it's hard, and players uh, need some confidence. UEFA Champions League soccer is streaming on Paramount Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway for the biggest stars, top teams, and scariest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid, oh I know, defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, I'll say it again, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-filled second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen, or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol, or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, 
Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think the general rule of thumb should be, I mean, Messi, Xavi, Guardiola, regardless of who, like all, all the, the, the people and figures and legends that are lionized, they all say the same thing. It takes time to get used to playing at Barcelona. And I think there was a period there where no disrespect to Ernesto Valverde, but he kind of did things a different way that wasn't as dogmatic for better or worse. I mean, he won trophies at Barcelona being a little less dogmatic than what we'd expect from the FC Barcelona. And I think Xavi getting back to that dogmatic approach kind of reminds you that to get used to quote unquote Barca system that these young players are supposed to learn from the academy all the way up through. I think there is something that directly correlates with Ferran Torres kind of struggling to find his feet again this season, having not done the preseason and a player like Alejandro Balde coming from the academy kind of looking very comfortable and breaking out in the way he is. I, I think that, again, there was something dogmatic at work here where these academy products are having an okay time in kind of getting their footing in the first team because of the way that Xavi is going about his approach to training, to his approach to what he's looking for in his players. And so basically anybody else that is not of that, you know, um, not even mindset, but that didn't come up through that Barcelona Academy is going to take some time as we're always warned by these legends. These legends always say, give these players a year. And I, I think that year could even be extended for players under the age of 23 who are not yet fully formed. Remember that, that Ferran Torres went from Valencia, where he could have arguably been, well, he was a star, I think already as a teenager and then they asked uh, he wanted to be a captain they said no because he was 19 years old then he moves to, to man city where he is kind of just this role player of course in, in a very talented team and he would come in to close out games in the final minutes and i think that is where he could fit at barcelona too but it's not even about resurrecting his career it's about him not only getting custom to barcelona but also figuring out where he fits because he as a player is very divergent from what Xavi asks of his wingers. So if he is a winger, which is what it looks like he is for Xavi, Dembele, Rafinha, and Ansu, well, Ansu, that's a different thing for a different day. I don't even have an Ansu question, which thank goodness, because we're going to do that later, but on a different day. But for Dembele and Rafinha, they start because they go wide. That's what Xavi wants from his wingers. It's why 
Rafinha is kind of, I, you can tell that he's always of two minds when he comes to cut in because he knows what his job is. He knows what his role is. And that's to create space by hugging that touchline. And that's not who Ferran Torres is. He's going to cut in every single time. In truth, in Xavi's system, he should be kind of this false nine center forward type situation, but he doesn't really have the physical tools to be this hold up player or to kind of replicate even 80% of what Lewandowski gives you. His finishing is not the same. And yet, as you said last season, to put numbers to what you said, he was he managed to have 14 total goal contributions, which was tied for second most for the team last season. That being Memphis with 15, and then it was Aubameyang and Ferran Torres with 14, both of which picked those up from January until the end of the season in May. So even last season, there were critics, and yet there was this end product, this end result. And so, like, which do you want? Do you want him to be kind of not overplayed, but do you want him to have to be this leading figure in a team that probably isn't as good, or do you want him to play second fiddle to Lewandowski and, and Obama Yang, not Obama, uh, Dembele and Rafinha. And then again, even Ansu, people are starting to criticize, but I, I want to remind you that you have this insane strike force, right? Like Lewandowski, it's just, he can't stop scoring at an insane clip. So mm-hmm. I think our reaction to Ferran Torres is a bit of everything where he's struggling to fully find his footing. Yes, but also Barcelona are flying high right now. They've got the best defense in all of Europe with 0.17 goals per 90 minutes. And so you always have to feel like you have to find somebody to scapegoat when things go wrong or why is things not perfect or why are you afraid that Barcelona aren't going to win a Champions League? And that has to be pinned on certain players. So there always has to be a scapegoat. And I think right now that's Ferran Torres. And that's why it continues to be in the media. Yeah, pretty much uh, pinpoint what you said. You know, um, it's like uh, in in the national team, everyone goes against uh, Ferran Torres, also against Luis Enrique. You know, people are attacking him because he's not performing, and there should be other players. But you know, uh, players go through these patches, and, and you need time. And Luis Enrique knows that for his system, Ferran Torres is one of the players that is going to uh, implement it the best way. So of course, uh, now people are criticizing him, but you know, it's football, and, and I know the, the players are aware of this, of course, and he just needs to uh, get past this uh, bad patch, and hopefully, he'll be. Uh, better again well it's the 55 million euros too i know that's i know i know i know but still i mean price tag is always a thing that people are going to bring up yeah and you know that's that's totally fair but again it's a situation right that the revenue that barcelona had to spend with over the summer when they brought in Lewandowski and kunde and they didn't pay premium dollar for those players from what they arguably could have been worth but last january it was desperate and i think ferran torres was the player that was available and the fact that barcelona kept their spot in the champions league like and not to say that, oh, he's a success already, but, you know, his contract is not much. Like, he doesn't make that much on the wages and the salary. And so getting stuck in that, like, that, because the price tag is the one that makes the headline. But truly, it's like, what is his salary? What is his wages week to week? And what is he doing to hurt your salary cap? And for a 22-year-old player with his kind of, I mean, even resale value, like, even though his market value is down now, his resale mm-hmm. value is still quite high. So I'm not too concerned about what that price tag was. Because again, that was also dictated by the market. And so because Barcelona finished top four, they got their Champions League spot that they needed to get, that tells me that it's kind of already done, right? If that makes any sense. Like I, I'm, I'm done with that price tag because that was a direct catalyst to what I mean, to what they were able to achieve. So he, and he was part of them playing well last year with Obama Yang and, and, and flying high. So, I mean, not to say that his, it's already over for him, but the price tag, was 2021, 2022. And I'm not concerned with that because of what his wages are. But okay, so next one here. Let's do one from Albert. 
Does the impressive start to the season actually indicate that Xavi is a great manager or is he mainly down to transfers and informed players? How much credit are you giving Xavi? I think is the, the summing up of that question. Well, I mean, definitely Xavi deserves his credit, but I mean, I always think that uh, the players are the main, the main guys here. You know, they're the ones getting the goals, they're the ones performing, they're the ones that if they have a bad day, it doesn't matter what the manager tells you, you're going to have bad, a bad day, you know? So, I mean, the manager can only do so much, but of course he needs to allow them to get the best out of each other. He needs to allow them to, to play in the best possible way uh, to get the good results. And in, in this sense, I do think that Xavi has had an impact. I think there's been a clear difference from before Xavi with Kuman, with Valverde, etc., and now with, with Xavi he's brought in his ideas his style of football which of course maybe uh, relates more to what Barcelona fans want but of course when you have Rafinha when you have Lewandowski when you have a good Dembele when you have Ansu Fati etc I mean there's a lot of quality on that field so no matter what you're going to get goals so I mean I do give credit to, I do sorry give uh, credit to Xavi of course uh, but I still think he has lots of things to improve on uh, there's games where for example I'm not so convinced with his substitutions where he brings in players which I think maybe don't make that much sense or it changes the formation and you can tell he's a bit anxious to maybe get a goal or something like that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But of course, that's that's the manager's decision in the end. But I do think that uh, some things need to be improved, especially also in defense. But overall, uh, he's doing a good job. He needs time, like you were saying with Ferran Torres, you know, new players need time. Coaches at, at Barca also need time, even if he knows the club inside out. Uh, his ideas have to be transmitted and it's going to take a while to fully get the, the machine working fully. So in that sense, credit to Xavi and mainly credit to the players because I think we have a very, very strong squad at the moment and that uh, is very easy going forward to compete in, in important titles. Yes, it's easy to compete for the titles. It's another whole thing to win it. Uh, and I think where Xavi exactly. is, I think where our referendum on Xavi will be decided will certainly be in the spring when the things matter. I mean, that that's how it's yeah. been for Again, for Ernesto Valverde, he had his ups and his downs. I keep mentioning him, but it's because he won some trophies at Barcelona. He didn't win all of them, but he stayed a ship for a long season. I mean, he could he could have had an unbeaten season, but because of the one five-four result against Levante, we talk about that season differently because they also failed in Europe in the way they did, right? So two matches completely derail a, a narrative of a manager, and that's unfortunately the game you play, right? It's a high-stakes game of you you win some, you lose some, it and the ones that. you lose are the ones that are remembered, unless you can big win the big ones. And even then, even then, I mean, look at look, look at Tuchel at Chelsea. I mean, he's already he was already fired. I mean, that's a bit too quick on the trigger. And I'd be yeah. frustrated if Barcelona had done that similar timeline. But it is what it is. Okay, next one, Pancho. How do you rate Rafa Marquez's Barca Athletic? The results and start have been better that of Barcelona's. You can say that again. Do you see positive development in these young players and his promotion feasible this year? Now, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll try to answer that in a second here because we also have a question from Doug about Pablo Torre, about realistic expectations and, uh, and Pablo Torre. But I want to rearrange this question for you a little bit, Roman, in that how important do you think promotion is for Barca Athletic? I feel like this is something that you know we kind of discuss about and people have their different opinions. Some people just don't care at all. Like It doesn't really matter because you have Gabi being... I think Gabi should be playing with the... What is it? The Cadet Ob... Or no, not the Cadet... Uh, Cadet uh, Juvenil Bay right now at the U17 level. Uh, U18 level, rather. So, I mean, he should be with the U18s. And yet he's he's been in the first team for two years. So it's like, age doesn't really matter so much. But when it comes to the Youth Academy, yeah. How, how important do you think that promotion is and how necessary it is for positive results to equal believing in these players at first team level? Well, basically, I mean, playing in second division, it's the closest you can get to playing uh, in, in the first division here in Spain. So, of course, you're going to have much more competitive teams, uh, much more tactically worked out, uh, much more physical. Uh, so you, you, you're, you're 
giving the younger players a possibility to play not at the highest level but very close to it you know so that's the, the best way basically to develop them to train them of course there are exceptions where Ansu Fati's and Gavi's that they're just so good that they don't really need to go through that phase and they just can uh, jump uh, right into the first team but most players can't really do that you know those are massive exceptions we have been mi- before these guys we have been missing you know uh, a lot of talent coming up to the first team and and it could be in part because of this you know because uh, you need the uh, not just to work on scouting players on on developing them from from the bottom but also like keeping them at a consistent level and to do that well you need to play them against the best possible rivals and in segunda división that's definitely a great test for them and if they can uh, perform well at that level then most likely they'll have a good chance at succeeding maybe not at Barcelona but at least at another uh, first division club in La Liga where they'll end up competing for example we've seen Tejo move out we've seen other guys like uh, Cuenca back in the days at Ricky Puch who's going to now play in LA and he's doing pretty well there so I mean sometimes Barca is a bit too much but they can still uh, prove to being worthy of other uh, decent teams we could say. Yeah, I will say that I want to put an emphasis on training and first team training in particular at, at FC Barcelona because, you know, this is a anecdotal, a necessary antidote. But so I work at the professional ultimate frisbee team uh, here in New York, and there are players who only play once or twice a year. And they've been on the team for three or four years and they show up every Wednesday and they show up in their away jerseys while everyone else wearing the home jerseys as they're they're not uh, put in active roster. And, you know, I, I'll talk to them about it. Like, you know, you probably could be playing or be the, the primary person somewhere else, right? Like you could have more minutes somewhere else or, or be a starter because the team went undefeated. They won the championship. They're the top team in the league. And they tell me that playing in practice, Wednesday in and Wednesday out against the best players in the entire sport, in the entire league, the championship, I mean, one of the greatest teams ever assembled, playing against those players and defending them and dealing with them it's just making them so much better than even playing some kind of other uh, for another team in a league that or another not a league, but in another situation where they might have more to do, but they're not necessarily going to be a challenge to do what they do well. And even defensively, they're not going to have to have to guard these kind of players. They're talking about their personal development and, and just explaining that yeah, I'm also going to be part of a championship winning mentality and figure those things out. So I, I think we cannot underestimate how how significant and you're also looking at it too this season we're hearing about the players i mean lamini mall made all these big headlines because he got called up to first team training and they come up with a compilation reel of him and xavi is going down all the way to the juvenile bay level and or i think I maybe mean, it's all one or two from cadet ah that uh, this u16s and he's bringing them up and having them do first team training and that is not only to get a look at them but to kind of get their feet wet and have them do important things yeah. if they're not necessarily getting, you know, if, if they're bossing whatever division they're in, which usually is that Barca does. So let me add to that, too. How do I rate them? I mean, they've not conceded in four matches. They're second in the table right now. And not to say I'm changing my tune a little bit, but I'm not sure how much I care about promotion if Xavi is going to be looking at these players in that fashion. If he, if, if you know, if you're defending Sergio Busquets in training, I, I think, you know, and you're doing that twice a week. I think that goes a lot farther than having to contend with, no offense, but some defensive midfielder in at the bottom of the second division. I mean, I, I think it's just a different level. And I know, you know, match speed is, is something different that players have to get used to. But when you're playing for Barcelona's first team as a young player, you're playing a role, though. Like, you're not the main person. You're not have to, you're not going to have to step outside of your comfort zone. You're going to have to be whoever you are. And maybe it's like the romantic in me. But when I look at the teams in their group, even, that I'd say, well, I'd kind of rather see Atletico Baleares 
in the second division, you know, I don't know about Mallorca staying up in the top, but I mean, those two having a battle in the second division is always a fun thing. Numancia, like I'm just reading here, but Mercia, you have different teams in that second division. Real Union, Cornea, who have just kind of a rich history. And, and it means a lot more for those clubs because, again, that's their top team of their clubs. And it means a lot more for those clubs to get promoted in the second division than it does for Barcelona's B team, if that makes any sense. Like Barcelona yeah, yeah. Athletic are not going bankrupt anytime soon. And so some of these teams... Sorry, yeah. sorry. From a follower's perspective, of course, I mean, it's, it doesn't maybe have too much of an impact, but I do think that from a manager's perspective, you, you still want them competing at the highest level, even though if they're, sure. if they're training with Busquets and a lot, of course, that's a positive and that really helps them uh, develop. But I think it was Pep Guardiola who said this once, that uh, in the Premier League, they have a big problem where uh, youth squads don't really have like a second division where they play against the best players. They play between each other and, and there is where they maybe lack uh, like capability of building uh, their own selves as, as players, you know, and, and improving. And he was complaining about this, saying that in La Liga and in Spain, of course, for example, they, they have the second division, they play against them. That's where the, really the players uh, learn, play not the highest level, but to get close to there. So, I mean, in a way, I think both, both uh, things can kind of work together in a way, we could say both arguments. For sure. Right. As a Kool-Aid, I'd want them to play at the highest level. But again, it's not even a romantic, but, you know, as somebody that kind of cares about the total health of Spanish football, you know, I'd like to see I the understand. clubs that, that kind of need to fill the stadiums to, to, to keep that competition up. True, and, true, then, true. and then, of course, that's why they can find their way. But then the question that Doug asked about Pablo Torre. So I will say I, I did watch two Racing Santander games. So not to say I'm an expert <laughs> last season, but it was also in the grainiest way imaginable. But it was clear by the matches I saw, not just highlight packages, but the matches I saw with, that the games were going at his pace. And that is what always impresses me about young players and about someone like Pablo Torre. Young players who can put their fingerprint on a match and you go, I mean, that's why that's why Pedri is just so incredible. That's why I continue to just say that it's not even his output. I'm not worried about his goals and assists. It's that there are games that just go the way Pedri wants them to go. And that is the, the, big, the biggest compliment I can give these young players. And, and that's a lot different from even a young player. We would think about uh, Alan Halilovic from, from a few years ago. So not to be too harsh on Halilovic, but he was brilliant in those highlight packages or even in small bursts watching him for the B team. <laughs> so, I mean, Barca could come out of a training session with a really great highlight of Halilovic and go, look at this young teenage Croatian that we have coming up through. And even what he did in Croatia was pretty dynamic and awesome. And you think, oh, this kid's special. But I think Pablo Torre for Xavi in particular is a bit more useful which is kind of what you need from a young player. You need them to be useful, and that's how they're going to get minutes, more so than being a player that's going to have one or two minutes and you go, oh, this player is incredible. It, it's kind of like the Elisha Komas thing right now. You've watched him for the U16s and the U18s and the U19s, and Elisha Komas, when he was 16, 17, you, you watch these dribbling highlights and you go, yeah, this kid's untouchable for like three minutes of a game. But what's he doing for 90 other or for the 87 other minutes? Like, where is he? Can he, he kind of gets lost a little bit. He drifts a bit. And what I really impressed about Elash so far, what I've seen this year is that he's a bit more, we'll say tuned in to the entirety of a match, which is what you need. And adding that finishing product, that was a big knock against him. But if a player of his age can kind of stay engaged and make an impact throughout the duration of a game, that's again, what's going to get you first team minutes more than this, these, again a minute of a highlight or two minutes of highlights or even some galazo because Xavi's watching the whole match so I, I think for Pablo Torre this year it will take him time 
you know, I said about Ferran Torres giving these young players mm-hmm. time. It's going to take him time to understand the defensive duties of playing as an interior in Xavi's system because you could argue that interior is kind of the most essential spot other than the guy up top who puts the goals in uh, in terms of Xavi's system. And then Frank Kessier even isn't fully doing what Xavi needs him to do just yet. And so he's not even fully maximizing the minutes that we'd expect that he was going to get, having just won a Serie A title with AC Milan. So all indications of for Pablo Torre is that Xavi will be playing him. Before you know it, the Copa del Rey will be in full swing. And even with this month of October, we could see him, especially with that backline injured players kind of hobbling around. Uh, and I know it's not in the midfield, but I guess the sense that every player in that first team dynamic will kind of get some time as other players need a minute's rest. And Tori will get some of those minutes so you don't burn out players. I mean, even a Frankie de Young, like, is he going to be playing center back at all? Is he going to be, you know, in the midfield? Is he going to still substitute in for Busquets at the pivot spot? Get Busquets some time against because Barca's playing every three or four days. Mm-hmm. So there's going to come minutes where you're going to go. I mean, they could really use Pablo Torre as like a third or fourth sub off the bench to kind of close out this game for 15 or 20 minutes. And I think that Xavi trusts him in that kind of position. Like, it's not like, oh, this kid is not ready for prime time. It's that, you know, we got to blend him along slowly. And, and I do trust him in those kind of circumstances. And I, I think those are fair expectations for him to kind of try to get, what would you say, Ramon? Like yeah, 500 I mean, minutes? Like I, I 400 just, I, minutes? <laughs> I've got to put a number on it. Like 400 to 600 minutes? Is that a success? I think... with the- Seeing how it started, at least, <laughs> probably would because, I mean, you just can't have uh, a young player like Pablo Tor- Torres sitting on the bench. I think that's the worst for, for such a guy, such a young person who needs to keep growing and developing his football. So I was I was a bit worried seeing in the first few games that he, he wasn't playing or I think the last game he didn't he wasn't even uh, on the bench. You know, I think that's not good for him. At least play him with a B team, uh, get him uh, to have football in his foot in his feet, you know, to, to keep playing with the ball, to keep uh, developing and learning because if you have him on the bench, it's just kind of... Why did we sign him for? So uh, now seeing that, of course, as you mentioned, the Copa del Rey is going to come up. There's lots of injuries. Uh, Frankie de Jong, for example, he's going to be out for a bit. And then Frank, Frank Cassie, as you also mentioned, hasn't really fully adapted to the system. Maybe that could be an opportunity for Pablo Torre. But uh, the, the fact is that they have to make him play as much as possible. And if they see that he's not going to play too much with the first team and that the B team, uh, he doesn't want to play because apparently... Uh, he wanted to go straight to the first team, of course, which makes sense. Uh, then maybe loan him out or do something, but not have him on the bench. That's definitely the worst case scenario, in my opinion. But I do think, as you said, that uh, he can be very useful in the upcoming months, especially uh, with the World Cup in between. You know, after that, we're likely going to lose some players. We're likely going to have to rotate even more. Uh, it's very uncomfortable for clubs and 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 the coaches to have this World Cup right there uh, squished in the middle because there's no proper rest after that. So that's maybe where Paulo Torre can come in, you know, and be helpful because we've seen he has quality of course he still needs time also hope people give him time and don't go uh, on to jump onto him too quickly because i mean he's a very young player and he's really also skipped you know gone straight up to the first team which is something you don't see very often uh because the likes of gabi pedri and so those are really really big exceptions you know these kind of players don't turn up very often so you have to make the most of this and and if pablo torre uh, gets his minutes even if he doesn't too well doesn't do too well sorry just let him have time, you know, enjoy him and see how it goes. Give him a year, give him even two years if necessary, because I mean, uh, these youngsters need a lot of time, as you mentioned uh, earlier on, to develop and to, to improve and to learn the Barca system, we could say. Well, yeah, like Yusuf Demir, uh, even last season, like he was not only given no time, but he exactly. still had a market value. A rushed, and so he was, he was shipped out because he had a market value. Yeah, it was the money. That's good. We needed the money at that point, basically, exactly. I think. Yeah. And that was a good point about Pablo Torre and the and kind of this break too, because usually what we see with young players, 
in their first seasons at these major clubs is that they kind of have a slow fall and then beginning of the winter time. And then over that, not to say holiday break, but they kind of figure things out by the January, by time the January rolls around. And usually there's that international break in January where you kind of, you know, the players get some confidence with their U21s or wherever it is. And they kind of figure some things out as the spring goes along. And what's really interesting is I think more so than almost any other year because of the World Cup and this month and a half break that is so uncharacteristic of the calendar, it's never happened before, that I think you're going to see a lot of young players kind of take those kind of bigger leaps than we're expecting, if that makes sense. Like I think all over, not just for Barcelona, all over you're going to see like there's that, I I should have written it down, um, but Zaire, I know is one of the the names for a PSG, their defensive midfielder, 16-year-old. I think all of a sudden that kid's going to come back from uh, being kind of off for training, PSG training for a month and a half, and you're going to go, oh, this kid's now a regular part of their rotation, um, that kind of thing, which kind of leads me to some other questions we have here about formations, and Colette asked one about Busquets, who should replace him? Well, I did like a 25-minute thing over the offseason about this, about all the different candidates, and that one's already kind of thrown away just because things change, players sign for different spots. And so it looked like if Zubamendi uh, from Real Sociedad is extending with Real Sociedad, seems like he's been tipped as the guy. But if he's extending, that's going to not say put him out of the price range, but I think his price range is $60 million, Or, I mean, that's even a bit high for me, I think, for that kind of player. Yeah. I think really his market value should be like 35 to 55 I mean, I think, he yeah, he's getting better. He's 23. He's kind of already a bit of what he is. And if that's exactly what Barcelona needs, then go out and get him. But I think paying more than like 55 is just, it's a bit extend. It's extending a bit of what the, that player is worth. I think you got to kind of hold your ground on that. But then the next one is Ruben Nevis from Wolverhampton. I, I like that's the next candidate. And I say, don't overthink it. Like he's 25. He's in his prime. He's very press resistance. His long balls are some of the best in Europe. So you kind of just say, you know, if that's, they want to play in his prime, that's going to be the guy. And from what we saw in preseason too, I'm going to throw out one other candidate here. I don't want to rule out Nico either. Nico Gonzalez in the preseason looked just fine there. Even if he's playing as an interior in front of Guillemot at Valencia right now, I know like that loan is like, oh, he's playing as an interior. But I think there's a lot of different ways that that works out for him. And he comes back as just an all around better player and kind of ready to pay the, to play the pivot spot, especially if they, that being Busquets extends for one extra season which I think that he might. And then Nico just kind of becomes his full understudy next year. And they go all aboard with that because I mean, there's so many other names. There's that there's a teenager for, for, for Ren in, in, in France, they brought another one in after Kamavinga. And I, but I think there are timelines. Like now we're already looking at that next generation of defensive midfielders who are 16, 17, 18, 19 and going, Oh, are they ready? And, and the problem is almost none of those players are ready for prime time. So it's all about timelines. It's what players can take the opportunities when that legend is leaving, in the moment that they're leaving. Yeah, and, and to this I want to add that uh, also it's important to, to, to point out that uh, Busquets is a unique. I mean, and, and no p- player we bring in is going to be Busquets, you know, because people, sometimes people ex- expected the new Xavi, the new Iniesta, now the new Busquets. Uh, that's, that's just not going to really happen, you know, because Busquets is a fantastic, incredible player that we still need him at his age because we don't have a proper replacement. And you, the names you mentioned, I mean, they're, they're definitely decent players. But of course, it's, it's, there's a big question mark behind how they'll, they'll perform. Maybe they'll come to Barca and they'll find out that they're just not made for the club, you know. So it's a very difficult um, spot to cover. We thought that maybe Frankie de, Jong, Frankie de Jong could do it at some point, but um, 
when he's played there, he's been okay. But of course, people see Busquets after, and it's like mm, he's not as good as Busquets. Or when Nico was playing there, mm, he's not Busquets. So that's the, that's the, the problem. You know, the comparison there with Busquets is always going to affect or, or in a way that the, the other player that comes on to play in his position. So I mean, whoever it is, uh, we'll have to just accept that it's going to be a completely different player with different style, different ideas, etc. Going forward, and I mean. In my case, I'd like to see Nico there. I think, you know, a player that's uh, been in our youth system that has done really well, he could definitely be an option. Hopefully in Valencia, he will grow and he can come back from that loan as a better, more complete player. But it's it's hard to say at the moment who the right man would be. It's true that Thuvi Mendy, as you mentioned, has been uh, talked about a lot. So he's definitely a very strong candidate. Uh, but again, I mean, he's no Busquets, and I'm just worried that any player that that starts there uh, instead of him is going to be quite maybe criticized. We could say in a way, 100 for sure. The reading of the game, you don't replace legends like that like overnight. It doesn't happen, and that yeah. play is going to take time and patience. And as you know, with Kulais, patience is, <laughs> is not necessarily. <laughs> um, okay, so three three topics left remaining. This one, I think we do rather quickly. Peter and Noah both asked about formations. With so many injuries, do you think it is now sensible for Xavi to try out his 3-4-3? And Noah, with the lack of fullbacks on the right side, could we finally see a three center back of Roberto and Bali on the wings? Could we see a back three of an Alonso, a Pique, slash Christensen, and a Garcia? I'm going to say, Roman, that because of those injuries, it's actually counterintuitive. And I actually think Xavi is going to stick with a 4-3-3. And I think I he'd agree. rather jam a... Does that make sense, right? He'd rather agree, jam yeah. a square hole at one position then change the formation yeah exactly and also if you play your your three center backs for example you play Pique, Christensen and Eric what if one gets injured it really complicates things so I think his idea will be to play with four at the back he'll just have to figure out who to put on the left i uh, sorry who to put on the right if to move one of the left backs if, if to move somebody else I don't know what his plan is in that up in that case unless Sergio Roberto of course is available by then so he'll probably start if, if that's the case uh, but I, I just don't see him risking three center backs and also uh, it's a formation that hasn't really worked too well in my opinion uh, for Xavi at the moment he's tried a few times he's also tried towards the end of games where the team has been struggling trying to get uh, the extra goal because of course that gives you more firepower going forward and it, and it did work but uh, honestly I, I'd rather he stick to a 4-3-3 which is more reliable I think the team uh, plays it better and if towards the end of the game you want to try something else and you see you can or you need to then all right but uh, I think Xavi will stick to, to what he knows best which is the 4-3-3. Yep. Yeah, we're in agreement there. Uh, this next one is actually pretty easy. Boston asks, what's the difference in revenue earned when the team has a poor average or excellent season across all streams of revenue? I know you want numbers from me, but the simple <laughs> answer is millions of euros is actually the answer. Remembering the, the pandemic only changed the budget by less than 100 million euros. And that was after the pandemic and all that revenue lost, which, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot. Oh, sorry, it does seem like a lot, that being 100 million euros. But that number is actually a lot smaller than the wages and salary going out and the gate revenue that is now returned. So right now, Barca has the highest attendance in Europe, around 85,000 people per match. Some are going to the museum throughout the week if they're traveling, if they're tourists. Uh, and tourism Barcelona has opened up again. So that's how Barcelona get out of debt, is that they have people show up and pay money to support the club and care about the club. And that's how Barca plan ahead with their budgets too. Yeah. And trophies is the whole promise of that continuing. So mm -hmm. when you say excellent season, you mean one where they not only did some winning, had an exciting team, but also won trophies, which excites them for next season. So next season is impacted by the end of this season, unfortunately. And this season was impacted by the number of signings, like Lewandowski and Kunde, and like the team that they are, as in the best defense in Europe and flying high. And they have won 
I mean, they're unbeaten this year other than the Bayern match and 0-0 with Ryan Vaikana, which is still a draw. And other than that, it's all wins. And it's a lot of goals. They're pulling in a lot of goals and people are excited to see that. So not to, I don't want to oversimplify that. But yeah, the difference is when Barcelona have bad years, people leave. And I can tell you, again, from firsthand experience, hosting this podcast and doing this Barcelona Pockets Empire, when it comes to merchandise and listeners and downloads and da-da-da-da-da and sponsorships, like numbers yeah, matter. Yeah, people yeah. can't. Absolutely. And I just wanted to add that proof of this is also the fact that Barca could have uh, not signed anybody, you know, and just uh, use the youth team these next few years to try and recover economically. But the other option, which is to spend money, bring players and have a quick, immediate impact, winning titles if possible, winning games, bringing more fans to the stadium, because they know that uh, it's really important for the team to, to get, you know, high attendances, to get money in as soon as possible. So, I mean, there were two options and they went for a riskier one, maybe, but it's also an option. So it's it's very important for a team to win, as you can see in this case. Well, speaking of winning, speaking of risky and speaking of the end of the show, here is our last topic. I hope it doesn't take us too long. <laughs> I could actually ask it in one question. Tamir, no disrespect to me, you had a big, long question here, but I'm going to simplify it for Roman. Messi returning next year. Are you giving it a thumbs up? Are you giving it a thumbs down? But I, I think Tamir really wants to ask, formation-wise, how would it work? I mean, it's also financially. I think that's really the question that the club is asking. But as far as what it would do to the team, that would be a question with Lewandowski here and Dembele and Rafinha. It seems like there's too many cooks in the kitchen, but obviously <laughs> Messi is always the master chef that returns and you go, Oh, we'll, we'll find a place for him in the, in the kitchen, no matter what, because <laughs> it's, it's a little messy. Yeah. I mean, in my case, it's a thumbs up. I'm a romantic. I just think that he left in the worst possible way, you know, to, to a European rival, to a club. I think many Barca fans pretty much hate, we could say, or don't, or dislike. Uh, and well, their I, president this week, I mean, you heard what he had said yesterday and today. <laughs> can't stand the guy, can't stand the guy, can't no, stand no. any any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, But I mean, I just think that he, he, he he's such he's such an incredible player. I mean, he's so good. He, he's given us so much. Uh, of course, the easy thing would be just to dismiss it and just say, Messi is over and we're done with that. We don't need more problems. But if the club can make it work, only if they can make it work, of course. Uh, if Messi can bring down his pretensions and, and have reduce his salary, of course, uh, then... Why not? You know, he's a fantastic player. He's still got quality. Uh, we see it weekly. Of course, maybe he's not scoring as um, as, as much sorry, as he used to, but he's taking on a different role in PSG where he uh, moves the ball, gives those assists. And I think Messi is an incredible player, player. Sorry. And in terms of the formation, I really don't know if Xabi has really looked into that yet. Uh, I think that's something uh, that still has to come if it happens. And at that point, they will look into it. But I mean, there's always a, a role for Messi. Uh, it's a matter of finding his position. Of course, other players would be affected by this. Could be Rafinha, could be Dembele, could be Ansu, could be Lewandowski himself, which I doubt. Uh, but of course, uh, it's complicated. Uh, but at the moment, what we know is that Xavi likes very complete squads with, with a big bench. So in that sense, he doesn't mind having Rafinha's, Dembele's, uh, etc. Fran Torres on the bench because he, he wants to rotate. He wants to change for different games. He knows that they get injured very often. So, I mean, I'm sure they could make space for Messi and he would be... It would be great to have him back. I mean, I mean, I, I can't say how he's going to perform. I still think he'd be great, but uh, yeah, in my case, I'd I'd love to see him back at least one more season. You know, to to say give him a proper goodbye, which is something we also uh, really missed. Uh, but in terms of formations and all that, uh, still still a while, still has to happen. Yeah, well, I, I'd say before we think about the tactical stuff, if you're going to go out and try to quote unquote replace Busquets, and I, I'm not going to sign, if you're going to sign Messi or return Messi, 
you're not going to sign Zubamendi or anyone that you'd expect to be the pivot in a Barcelona style. You're just going to ask China if they could borrow the Great Wall and just put that down uh, in the middle of the field. <laughs> I think if you put Messi going forward or you try to make something work with four at the top with Lewandowski and Demelé and Rafinha and Messi, I think you have kind of a problem on your hands with everything in behind because you basically need... I mean, Pedri already runs around too much and puts out too many fires, but I don't know what you'd possibly do. I think, what, is everybody else just a center back? And that's all you do. You don't even play a midfield. You yeah. just have, Although, you have one center in the midfield and then all center backs. Yeah. Although the, the Cruyff mentality was this, always score more goals than your opponents. So if they score six, we score seven, you know, and with those players, I'm sure we could. <laughs> yeah. I think Barca's doing that right now. Um, <laughs> also, yeah. As, right? So I think it would also be very dependent, to be serious, it'd be very dependent on whether or not the league account his last salary. Like they tried to do with Alves. That was the interesting thing about signing Alves where he tried to sign on the minimum and they said, no, we're actually going to count his was half of what your last salary was. And even Messi at his last salary, uh, if that were to count against Barca's budget, would completely yeah. destroy anything they tried to do with their wage structure. So, I, you know, while Alves's goodbye came in that little spurt of six months and then he kind of got his, it wasn't a testimonial, but he kind of got his farewell with the Gamper Trophy with Pumas, which again, wasn't even meant to be the real thing because of uh, Roma dropping out. That was the whole thing. But it did wind up putting a nice cherry on top of, of Alves' career, even though he was wearing a different shirt. And it was kind of felt like, okay, this is the proper end. And, you know, I, I kind of went down this real quick final rabbit hole that we heard, you know, about, we see here, at least, I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing about testimonial matches and especially with that, um, that class of, uh, Beckham's Manchester United class. You already hear about text testimonials for those kind of players. And hey, how are we going to have this big fanfare at, at the end of it? And then I got to wondering why we heard, I, I felt like we heard more of these back in the day than we do now. And that's because apparently clubs generally only give testimonial matches to players having 10 years of service with the club. And you're retiring with that club, which with the way that modern football works and the market, <laughs> particularly the post-2017 market with Neymar, you don't often see players riding off in the sunset with the clubs that are big enough when a where a testimonial match would make the headline. So I, I looked at it, and there are testimonial matches happening in Belgium and in Denmark and in Sweden and in in Italy in the lower divisions, and they're they're happening and they exist, but you don't see them at Man City or or, or Juve or Bayern, right? Because you don't really see these players finishing the careers at those clubs. I mean, even Andres Iniesta, where he had. For all intents and purposes, his final match kind of was a testimonial match, like because Barca are good enough where they can kind of play a match against a, like a real match account, but kind of count it as like, hey, goodbye to this legend. And that's kind of how that works. When Laporta and we all agree that Messi did not leave in the right way, I think there is a, a chance that he does kind of the basketball or the baseball here in the United States move. He signs a one day deal and he has that testimonial match and that's it. Like that's all that Laporta could mean. Right. That's all that the club can mean. Like, we just have to do this and say goodbye the right way to bring him back into our world to mean that, hey, in retirement, you're an FC Barcelona legend. Like, because I mean, this is the cynical part of it, but that man is going to be a cash cow even when his boots are hung up. He's going to continue to be a just a market yeah. resource that if he's a legend of Barcelona, Barcelona is saying, hey, I know he retired with PSG, but I, I'm trying to think of, of an example of a player that retired at a their kind of new club, you know, their, their second club. And they kind of became a long time person there, like a general manager or whatever. Like there are many examples of that actually of them, like, because that's where their, fi their final move is. Like Messi has now moved to Paris. His home is in Paris. I know he probably has, you know, with the money he makes, he probably has them in, in Spain too. But anyway, like his, his big home or his, his final home is in P is in Paris. 
What if he just stays there? And now he's like a PSG ambassador, right? I don't think that I don't see that happening, but the club also, I think Barcelona would hate for that to happen. So I don't know if we're actually talking about Messi's return as a playing return, as it is like just his, his kind of role as a figurehead in the club. Yeah, it could be a possibility. I mean, at some point, Messi's going to come back to Barcelona. I don't know whether it's a player or whether it's going to be some sort of uh, position uh, at the club, but uh, what's for sure is that I, he'll come back. He said it himself, you know, he wants to be back. Also, his his family was yeah. based here. He loved living here. I'm sure he still kept his house here, here in Barcelona and Castelldefels in the outskirts. So, I mean, in that sense, I think Messi Messi will come back. They, also, the question is whether he wants to go to the US to play football because apparently he still has uh, that wants to live that experience. And as you were saying before about players uh, having that game before they retire, also keep in mind that now... There's so many clubs, especially clubs in Africa, Middle East, etc., that uh, offer them so much money to go there and maybe get some more money into their pocket before they retire that it's a big temptation. So it's actually quite difficult, as you were saying, for to get a player to retire in his club uh, nowadays. Yeah. So, I mean, the last thing I'll say to kind of add on to last week that while I it was reported last week that PK's contract was at $52 million, apparently that has been, that's been uh, see, redone, not even... As far as like really, but as far as was being reported, and apparently the number is like fifty-seven now, which actually does put him less than Frankie De Young. So I did maybe I put it too much on PK last week, but that has been revised now on, on places like Apology or, or having those the, the the new number verified, if you will. But either way, PK is still making the sentiment remains the same. Busquets, De Young, Alba, PK are making astronomical amounts. The only thing of those four is that Busquets's contract is out at the end of the season, and I think he's. And the big question mark. So, Ramon, we had a lot of questions here, and I feel like we answered them all. We got it done in under an hour. I'm really proud of us. Nice. So, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, nice. as I said last time you're on, this is appearance number two, but I think people are still interested to hear more from you. I'd love to join anytime. So, it'd be great to come whenever you let me. And in the meantime, where can people find your work? Well, um, as you said before, at La Liga Lowdown in our Twitter account, so you can find us. Or we even just opened a Substack uh, this, this this year, this season. Uh, so we're um, producing content articles, uh, weekly newsletters, etc. So there they can find us. Or in my personal Twitter handle, which is Aeroslave with a double E at the end. Yep, and that will be down in the show notes below. So click through and then find all that juicy stuff. We obviously, uh, Rory Barlow is, is a favorite on La Liga Lowdown as well. He's been on this show many times, so... Yeah, Liga Lowdown doing some great stuff over there. And again, also, the uh, the conversations are more than just Barcelona, right? I, I feel like I get a little tired on that. Yeah, yeah, but it's La Liga in you guys get, Exactly. So you guys get it done over there. So we're also on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group is where we got these listener questions. Answer the question, like in. And there's also a match thread, and that's kind of where the community is fostered there. Patreon is how I keep making these shows. And you can also watch them, or and, well, not watch them, but listen to them without the ads, which again is the incentive to support the show over on Patreon. And then on YouTube, we had all that summer content that came out. I just did a FIFA 23 ratings, kind of stepped outside my comfort nice. zone and got corrected by quite a few, I believe, teenagers on the internet <laughs> because I definitely misspoke. You know, I've had FIFA since FIFA 99, but I don't do any of the online content. I don't don't talk about Ultimate Team. Don't talk to me about any of the, the, the extra bonus content or DLC. I just learned what that meant the other day, downloadable content. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'll get into the 21st century eventually. But either way, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Support Sparta. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.